0: pushkin bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy last year by making investments from coast to coast investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast chase make more of what's yours chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices message and data rates may apply jp morgan chase bank na member fdic
1: copyright 2024 jp morgan chase and company now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry and t-mobile for business has the advanced 5g solutions to make that happen we're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at t slash now.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, weekly podcast of interviews with fascinating people from all walks of life. I'm your host, Sam Fergoso. Thanks for tuning in. So for those keeping track, today marks episode number five for us here on the show, which means a month has passed since we first launched. And somehow, uh, I don't know how that's really possible, but I think that's what happens when you're pouring so much of your time into one venture. Um, Time goes by very quickly. I learned Uh, the responses. My God, thank you for, for the responses that we have received thus far. They have been particularly encouraging. Uh, Those who have been critical of the show have been fair and honest in their assessment and uh, are helping us make it better. So I appreciate that as well. It, you know, it's a terrifying thing to put something new out into the world, something that has no backing really, other than ourselves and the people working on this show. And, um, we're all hoping someone, somewhere likes it, and people have, and so thank you for doing that, and I think, I think we're in this for the long haul, so um, again, forever and always, thank you for listening and tuning in. This week on the show, we have Wesley Morris, whose official position, critic at large, was created for him upon entering the New York Times. The first thing you should know about Wesley is that he's not someone who particularly enjoys receiving compliments. So I'll save the superlatives for a later date. Before landing at the Times, Morris wrote for the Boston Globe, where he won the Pulitzer Prize in Criticism in 2012. Again, that's the Pulitzer Committee complimenting and awarding him. That's not me. I'm just relaying facts. Okay. Uh, soon after, he pivoted to the now defunct, soon-to-be-resurrected kind of website, Grantland. The beloved Bill Simmons-run operation that gave Morris the space to write long form about popular culture. Morris was in town this past week to give the State of Cinema Address at the 59th San Francisco International Film Festival, where he argued for the radicalization of actor Sidney Potier and how it parallels the current climate of race in movies. Indeed, there are few critics who write as insightfully as Wesley does about race in movies, but he's not bound to that one subject. So, in fact, when we sat down, we touched on everything from growing up in Philadelphia to appearing on At the Movies with Roger Ebert, finding that drive each day to continue working and writing i'll say this take it for what it is but by the end of the conversation with wesley i felt particularly inspired it was like one of those it's like when you're reading a really great article and at the end of it you're kind of like oh god damn it that's really good and there's no way i could have written that um what, talking to wesley's a little bit like that uh, he's particularly inspiring um and thoughtful and generous and it makes you want to be a better writer and human being so finally here's wesley morris i don't know much about your upbringing because the only time
1: you've talked about it it's pretty vague um there's not i mean i don't know (laughs) i grew up in philadelphia my parents were married for a while and then they were divorced you divorced divorced early right uh, yeah. In 1979, 80, Four something years. like that. My
0: parents broke up when I was one, I think, like one and a half.
1: Yeah. I, we thought they were married longer. And then my sister and I were going through some, we had to get some documents when my mother died. Uh-huh. And we found out that the divorce was sooner than we, than I remember it. Cause I have such clear memories of they're being married and they're not being married. Right. I mean, the transition from one state to another state right. of of relationship. Um, hmm, what else can I tell you? <laughs> I mean, we were poor. Uh, my dad was around. I didn't grow up without a father. Right. I just didn't but your mom with, raised you. Yeah, I mean, my dad. I mean, my well, I went to boarding school, so I mean, I was raised. I was raised in a lot of different capacities but i think that my primary the person i i would credit with raising me is my mother uh because a lot of the decisions that were made up my life were made by her um but my dad was around he was a good parent we were buddies um you know he had a, he started another family that he saw much more frequently than mm-hmm. i saw him but you know he was a part he, he had uh I don't know what his custodial, what his legal custodial relationship with us. with us. I don't think there, there was one, but, you know, at some point when the divorced parents are still kind of pals, right. I think that whatever a judge says the deal is, as long as you're kind of okay, nobody really says anything about it. Right. So, I mean, my parents were friendly for my entire childhood. I, well, that's not true. At some point they became friendly. I don't huh. exactly know what precipitated it. And I think my mother just isn't much of a grudge holder. Huh. um, are you? No, no. I don't. I mean, I yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, with people that I know, I'm, I'm pretty easy. It's pretty easy for me to forgive some things. I find there are cultural things that I. I mean, I won't be able to come up with an example at the top of my head of something right. where like I can't. I cannot forgive X person for saying X thing, but you don't forget some things you just don't forget. I mean, you can get over them. You can forgive them, um, but you don't forget they happen. But Mm -hmm. for in general, no, I'm pretty, I've never, I've never cut somebody out of my life for, in a way that would signify grudge holding. Mm -hmm. Um, I've tried to be an adult in terms of how I communicate with people. I don't always hold up my end of the bargain in that respect. But, you know, I try <laughs> what to... What do you I can be passive. I can be overly tolerant of things that I shouldn't have to tolerate. You seem like a nice guy. I'm nice. I am nice. I'm nice. I'm nice except for when I can't be nice anymore. Right. Um, or when I feel like I just don't want to be doing something that I'm doing. I can... I can hit a threshold
0: sometimes of, in your writing. You're not nice, but, but I don't think it's unfair. I don't you're, think I'm
1: right. I don't think I'm unfair. No, I
0: just feel like, but th- I, I have some quotes that we can go into later. Okay. About, I mean, like, I just,
1: I don't feel like there's any point in, I mean, for my job, there's no point. You, you can, there are a lot of people who, who can give you exactly that kind of like right. wishy washy. Yeah, but criticism. you can't be passive in, in criticism. You can be, it just, it, doesn't, it yeah, just doesn't serve its purpose, yeah. you know, at least in terms of how I imagine it operating. But I mean, generally, no, I do not hold grudges.
0: I know you, um, for a while went around cause I, I listened to the long form interview you did mm-hmm. and you were talking about how you used to go around like to grade schools. They would ask you to come and, and give your, how did you get into film criticism mm-hmm. thing. Um, but at a certain point you, I don't think you want to do that anymore, right? Is that...
1: I just don't know if it serves a purpose. Right. Like, I'm happy to talk to – I still talk to kids in schools. I right. they teach a writing class at a charter school. Um, um, but I don't know that – I don't know. I don't really know what the – I don't – I think in, two, in 2015, I don't really know what the value of the way I had been talking to kids. It's 2016. 2016, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I don't know what the value of talking to kids the way I have been talking to them. Right is anymore i just don't know so So. the
0: the story i I think is from what i know is you wrote a review of something in eighth grade or freshman year of high school yes the professor responded or the teacher responded favorably and said no maybe you should do that and then it happened but it seems like uh you chalk a lot of things up to luck
1: i mean yeah uh, yes, it is not. I mean, but but there's, you know, there is being good at something and then there's being lucky in terms right. of people recognizing that you are good.
0: Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it, it's a mixture of both. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, there are a lot of lucky people who aren't talented right. and have gotten very far in life. And then there are a lot of uh, really talented people who just haven't been lucky at all and have either stagnated or you know, they haven't gotten to the point where they're, you know, where their talent is sort of recognized as being as good as, as, as at least I think it is, or as other people think it is. Hmm. Um, I was lucky in that I am talented, but I also had people who recognized that that talent was there. And there were places for me to go with that talent. I mean, the other problem is not so much that people don't know that other people are talented is that they're, there are fewer places for that talent to find a stable home. Right. Um, So I think I, this happened, this began to happen to me, my career at exactly, at one of the exactly right. And I don't want to say last, but definitely rarer moments of where daily newspapers needed daily film critics right. to do daily film criticism.
0: Well, you also came, you left Yale at one like 97 mm-hmm. and then you got a job almost immediately, right?
1: Well, my first job out of college was I was editing, um, a website that doesn't exist anymore called student.com
0: St- St- steven.com student. Oh, student.com. student.com. Okay. Yeah,
1: it was a college website and a Did lot Sim- of- Did bill Simmons do something with that. No, okay. Not as far as I know. Okay. I mean, this will be this would be news to me. No, that's not, I don't think I have. Uh, the yeah, no, I don't think Bill had anything to do with that. <laughs> okay. But they, those guys, were all college friends of mine, and they started this thing. And I, they were nice enough to let me do something there. Mostly, I mean, I was qualified to do it. Right. Um, I just didn't know. I just didn't. I didn't have any plan. I had no plan. I had no. Uh-huh. I had no strategy. So this was a good place to. At the time, I thought, okay, well, this is something that I could probably do for a while, and we'll see what happens. But I was very unclear about what the future looked like. And what did you major in, you Uh, Film studies and literature. Okay. Um, And, you know, I more or less just kind of winged it. Yeah. You know, because Yale didn't really tell me anything about what to do with my life, and that's one of the. Th- I mean, that's one of the things about certain liberal arts education, uh-huh. which is that unless you're going into finance or the military, or right. you're going to some sort of finishing post, there's no clear graduate. trajectory. Right. For, for. No, I mean, and there's also nobody to really talk you. Th- there's officially nobody to. I mean, at least the way it worked for me, there was sure. nobody officially to talk you through any of that stuff. Um. And so I was just, I mean, the luck part for me was I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't think I'd start writing real. I mean, my imagination, my imagination about, of how this was going to go was that I'd start writing film criticism when I was 15. 33, oh. you know, like 33, 34. And yeah. I would putz around, I'd teach for a little while. I, you know, I'd pick up some work here and there. Yeah. Um, the plan was never to get a job when I was 25 at a daily newspaper, which is, I mean, I think I might have even been younger than that. Right.
0: So you go out west to, yeah. to the Examiner and Chronicle out here.
1: Mm-hmm. My first job was at the Examiner, and I was there, um, I think, until 2000. Until 2000, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Hearst Company, Hearst Corporation, bought the Chronicle, right, and then merged the staffs so of the Examiner with the Chronicle staff.
0: Um, so in 2001, you have the job here, mm-hmm. and one thing I wanted to talk about was you going on the sh- at the movies show with with Ebert. Yes, you had watched that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, run me through what that is. I rewatched it today. The. Um, when um, you're reviewing South Park, sorry, no. What do you mean, sorry? Uh, that, you,
1: well, I just—I have well, never, what's, what's I've never, sorry? I've never watched it. I just—it just, just seems. I remember what I wore. Yeah, well, well that was—I will say—you uh, <laughs> that you had glasses,
0: um, and then you had a T-shirt on, and it was uh, a, yeah, it was a Wesley. It was
1: fun. Um, I remember just sort of I, I, my memory of that was that I probably would have worn something different, but whatever. Yeah, it was 1999. I don't know what I was what, 20. <laughs> 24 I right. think um, that was that was weird I don't know I, it's funny nothing I think one of the things that people who know me find annoying about me is that I never really seem fazed by anything um, I, I
0: don't know you very well but I, I've already consented like that.
1: it's not I have no expectation that what is happening to me is going to happen I don't feel like I just des- it it's not so much that I feel like I don't deserve it, but I don't expect anything to happen right. to me. You know, I, I am glad I'm alive. I'm glad to have a job. I'm glad <laughs> to have people in my life that I love. But when it comes to things like being on doing at the movies with Roger with Roger Ebert and, you know, sitting in that Gene Siskel seat. It was weird and that that it was something that I was that I felt spiritually familiar with, but it wasn't. I know there was a moment where I was on the street with Roger Ebert and we were talking about things he doesn't like about film writing in general. Do you and, remember do you
0: remember what those were? Uh
1: he didn't he doesn't like academic jargon. He didn't like that. He didn't like uh, he wasn't a theory person, so mm-hmm. he just hated he hated anything that sort of alienated the average reader from a piece of criticism right. or from mm-hmm. a or from a train of thought. Uh, he thought those things were antithetical to the to the sort of intellectual pursuit of of experiencing art and culture and and of writing criticism. Um, and I was really young, and I had ju- I was only I, I, I wasn't taught how to write. Film criticism in, in in college, I was taught how to write, how to argue, basically. Right. And one of the one of the moves that you use in arguing academically is jargon, because right. it kind of makes it harder for the person with whom you're <laughs> arguing to argue back if they don't have all the tools, right. all the sort of rhetorical tools yeah. that an an academic has.
0: Um, you very much have. That lexicon, I think that you tap into.
1: I can use it, but now I understand. I mean, it wasn't Roger Ebert that made me aware of of that being a, a sort of counterproductive right. criticism, sh- uh, tactic or 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 device. Um, it was. It was. It was. Well, it was a little bit of that, but it was also just having editors who were who refused to allow me to use a lot of that language. And so I had to figure out what the language even meant practically. I mean, I knew what it meant, you know, in an absolute sense. I know mm-hmm. what a term, for instance, like extra diegetic means. Mm-hmm. But do I want to use that in a, in a you know, a review of, I don't know, minions <laughs> If I do, <laughs> if I, if I am going to do that, like I have to really understand why, why I would do it. Right. Um, and how to make it clear to a reader. Cause now I think I'm older and when you're 23, you just are kind of like, fuck everybody. I'm just going to wait for my friends. Yeah. Um, and, and that and, was, and you're going to
0: pivot to that thesaurus and you're going to use words that are
1: probably not. Necessary. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I was I was probably a much more defensive critic in a lot of ways when I was twenty three. Definitely the when I was twenty three to like twenty eight mm-hmm. than I was after. Um, I'm much more open to. I like to write as simply. I like to write a complex sentence or, or or express a complex thought as simply as I possibly can. Right. Um, I really like that. Approach to writing now, and who knows how I'll feel in ten years? Uh, maybe that'll probably change, but I've definitely evolved to a point where, where I understand what the problems with my twenty-three-year-old self are. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, like I have no expectations about about anything, and so I'm sitting on that on the set of that show. Oh, I was telling a story about Roger Ebert and 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 yeah, just street that was that was one of the only moments where I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is actually this is happening. I'm like standing on the street with people stopping Roger Ebert to say, Hey man, hi. Yeah. And he would stop and talk to them. And, um, I just
0: think the moment where worlds collide, where you have an idea of someone and then you're with that someone for an extended period of time, it's an, it's an odd, it's an odd experience.
1: Yeah, he never, to me, it's funny. I never spent enough time with him to seem, for him to seem entirely human to me. Okay. You know what I mean? He was still, he. we were never friends. We were always colleagues. Like, he would send me emails every once in a while about random things and then sometimes about specific things that I'd written. Mm. And then I would send him notes about specific things that he'd written. But we were never friends at all. I never had a point where, like, and he never knew anything really personal about me that he didn't uh. read, and I didn't know anything personal about him that I didn't read. Um, he definitely sort of—I think—I don't know. I mean, he can't speak for himself now, but I, I definitely think that he imagined his relationship to me as much more paternal or mentor-like mm-hmm. than than buddy-like. Right. And so we'd see each other at film festivals, and you know, I was always happy to see him. But you know, Roger would go out in the world and people, especially at a film festival, like people would just want to stand near him and hear him talk and he would hold court and he'd be interesting. And even when he couldn't talk, he would find ways of holding court still. Um, and it was interesting also watching that relationship change after he got sick. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you could find him in the Palais at Cannes, Uh, Before a screening started and he would just be alone with Carol, the woman who helped take care of him or um, or Chaz. And there'd be a kind of solitude about him. He didn't seem lonely or sad. He just seemed contemplative, but he definitely didn't magnetize people to him the way he previously had. Um, but he still had a commanding presence, even like as the only person or one of the only people in an aisle at a, you know, before an eight 30 in the morning movie. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I mean, I don't, I, again, like I just, I, 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 I am in awe of every single wonderful thing that has happened to me. I just. I'm very much about moving on to do the next, to do my job. And mm-hmm. cause everything that's nice that's happened to me or like even getting some of the work I've gotten has not come from my really setting out to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. All I do is do the work and then whatever happens happens. Like mm-hmm. a lot of things I have no, I have no control over the things I can't control, you know? Um, so that's a little bit, that's a little bit of what this is too. It's just like, okay, I'm glad you like it. I still have to go back and make more. So I don't really think about... I don't think... I mean, I don't... I don't know. I try to... I don't really spend a lot of time rereading things that I wrote. Mm -hmm. um, Because that's depressing. Always? Not all. Well, I mean... I don't always I always feel like in some well I don't know it's a dual track some like I simultaneously feel like I'm getting better all the time and getting worse. Okay. You know Tell like, me tell me how how that I works. Know. I mean you just the reason it's not very productive to go back and reread things you wrote in some ways is that you'll read it and you'll just be like I don't even know where that came from. I don't know where that thought came from. I don't know where that the expression of that idea came from. And then I'll go back and read some things and I'm just like, Oh my God, this is so windy. I would, I would probably not have, I probably would have lost a sentence from this graph and from this graph and from this graph.
0: You know, it's so great to hear you say this, someone who, you know, I'm not going to compliment you too much, but you're one of the, uh, (laughs) you know,
1: yeah. As you can
0: tell, I'm not going to have any response to it. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, um, I would say, you're an above-average writer. How about that? that, that, that's, that's a, is, that it, is
1: very that is mm. very um, teacherly of yeah, you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you. you're welcome. That sounds like uh, what I got told that, in school. That you're above average. You're you're not failing. <laughs> you you don't have a C. <laughs> um, the fact that you're
0: you go back and you're like, oh god, I can't believe I wrote that shit. Yeah, it
1: makes. Everyone, the farther it, back in time I go, the more likely I am yeah. to feel that way. Yeah. But yeah, because
0: well, I read a review of yours from the Chronicle. Oh my god! And I was like, wow, it's not bad. It's good. it's still better than I can do, and better than most people. But it's not you. You. I, I will say this as some as an outsider. Um, you've
1: gotten better. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I have. I mean, yeah. I I have been forced for. Other reasons to read things from uh-huh. when I was living here and writing. I mean, you definitely, I mean, there are things that objectively I can see that are interesting about certain things I've written. Um, the old stuff is just, they're time capsules of who you were in that moment. Right. I feel like a lot of those pieces are also, like, I'm in dialogue with a person that I'm no longer even thinking about when I uh-huh. write. Um And I mean, like an imaginary person, like a person, I don't know. I mean, that person was probably my age yeah, uh, and was probably not interested in what a 40-year-old person thought about what I was doing. Mm. Um, Are you 40 now? I'm 40 now. So I'm now the age of the person I hated or didn't care about when (laughs) I was initially doing this job. Mm -hmm. Um, Do
0: you remember a piece of yours where you thought, yes. I got this. I, I nailed it.
1: Um, I, yeah. I'm. I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of things in pieces where I've right. where I've nailed it. I so can tell speak.
0: you the one that I think of right away if that'll um, help you.
1: Well, I mean, the thing that I I mean, the, you'll never find this because I don't even know that it exists anymore. <laughs> but I wrote a review of Oliver Stone's Alexander. Okay, that at that point in my life. Was the most popular thing I'd ever written in terms of how people responded to it. I don't even know that the rest of the review is that good because I haven't I haven't read it since I wrote it at all. Huh. But I remember the first line of that review being, um, basically. I mean, I'm par- I'm paraphrasing because it probably required more setup to get to what I thought was funny. Um but basically it was Oliver Stones Alexander has many highlights and they're all on Colin Farrell's hair. <laughs> um and that was I don't know where that came from and I there were like a there may be 800 words that followed that. Uh-huh. I don't know no, if they're good. Doesn't matter. But that was but that was this that was a line where I was like, "Well, I'm done here." There you go. Even though I have to keep writing, I think I'm all set. <laughs> um and i mean there are probably some other things where i've felt that way there are definitely things where like i've i've said thank you god a lot like i'll have a thought that just i like i like to run mm-hmm. cuz running for me is a really running outside yeah. especially is really good for feeling good about where your thinking is going um And I usually try to take mental – I don't bring a device with me to record thoughts. I just make a really strong point to just remember things that occur to me. But I have a lot of – I mean, not a lot of thank you God moments while I'm running, but a lot of the thank you God moments I've had have come while I'm running or Mm -hmm. exercising or something Um, where I'm just like, definitely wouldn't have come up with that one if I were just sitting in my computer right now. right? Um, Or just like a way of approaching a particular – Critical thinking problem. Um, anyway, so to answer your question, yes, I have felt that way. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of a. I can't think of an entire. I mean, I guess the help review is something where I reviewed the help. I, I felt like I knew. I knew the different questions I wanted right. to ask myself, and the the answers that I I wanted to come up with answers for questions I had about a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause, you know, I'm also aware of an audience, of a movie going audience. And so a movie like The Help would have it would have been really easy for me to write a review of that movie that was like, this movie sucks. Yeah. Period. But it doesn't it I mean, first of all, I don't think The Help sucks. I think that it is a it is a it is a worthy attempt to try to get at yeah. something that that people want gotten at. I also but you know, I also have this exact opposite response to that movie. And I tried to sort of keep those things. I tried to keep both those arguments happening in tandem Mm -hmm. for an entire review. Um, And that's for me, one of, I mean, I'm always trying to do something like that, but that's a really, that to me is an an example of something is a hard, it's a hard thing to do. And I feel like I did it there.
0: Yeah. I think you also did it in the song of Solomon piece.
1: Oh, uh, the 12 Years a Slave thing? Yeah. yeah. I think so. I don't remember feeling one way or the other about that review. I definitely felt like I wanted to open it out because I felt like it came along at an interesting moment. Yeah.
0: You opened um, it out to Kanye. Like, yeah. You did, you did a good job.
1: Thank you. Um, I, I like trying to do that whenever... I mean, now I have a job that like expects me to do it. Right. But um, when I was officially practicing only film criticism i was always interested in the ways that you could tip the thing over and have it spill out into right into reality you and i don't think you
0: created that sort of no. way of writing not but it seems um, if someone's to think about who's writing that way in film they they do land on you for doing that you have a way of connecting the dots that i think most people cannot do or at least they try to do but can't particularly do well Mm -hmm. do you ever feel like you're reaching
1: um i always feel like well it's funny no i feel like i'm probably doing something that i always feel like every like anybody could be having this exact same thought i'd never feel Mm -hmm. like these observations are unique to me okay you know i feel like these are things that like and i also don't feel like i have to get there before anybody else does i don't i'm not like a I'm not a hot take artist. I don't. I'm not a contrarian. I'm perfectly comfortable with feeling the same way about something that everybody else does. Mm-hmm. But I always feel like there's something else probably going on with a work of popular culture, right? Um, and so I'd like to know. My my curiosity is really what I'm trying to satisfy um, as a critic.
0: I think that everyone. Has that capacity to to think and write that way, perhaps. But when you know, like when Let's Be Cops came out, right? You wrote about Ferguson, you wrote which was appropriate given the time, but there weren't other articles really connecting those two.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. So one thing I will say about the way I think about movies. In general, and popular culture, well, movies specifically in popular culture in general, is it like it's all interesting, and yeah. it all comes from somewhere, and it is entirely possible for something like Lesby Cops to not be a good movie, but also, but to also be an extremely interesting example of the thing that it is, uh-huh. and it just shows up at the right time and and manages to say something without even meaning to say it about the country that we live in or a particular moment in time, you know, particular political, political moment in time. Um, I really do. I mean, at some point I had this idea that I was going to write a book called all, all movies are interesting or something like that when Uh I was younger. Um, because it's kind of true. I mean, you can, the thing when you ask if I'm reaching, I think that there is the, one of the things that I, I'm, I try to be conscious of, or I was trying to be conscious of at some point was not letting a movie off the hook for being interesting. Mm. Um, And to make clear that there is a, there is a a distinction to be made between good and, and interesting. Um, And the problem with daily newspaper reviewing is that there is no, there's, especially if you're required to then rate the movie, Right. right? Like let's be cops. I could spend, you know, as long as I spent writing, I mean, I'd never, I would never have been able to do that for a daily newspaper. Right. Well, but, there's, there's
0: inches and there's column space in right. there. But there,
1: but there also is just like the, the actual reader expectation that would require, that would make them mm-hmm. want to know, is this a movie I should see? So I have figured out now how to do, how to get that out of the way the kind of as soon as possible so that it's clear that what you're reading is, is both a work of criticism and uh, like an, a, a qualitative evaluation of the thing I'm writing about. Right. But then to complicate that by saying what else it is and, and where else it fits. I think
0: Grandland really facilitated that approach mm-hmm. in ways that no other place let you do before.
1: No, that's true. I mean, I think that, that the only limit Before, well, there was time and then there was space. And I had unlimited amount of space at Grantland and I had more time um, because it was, you know, went straight to the went straight to the Web. Mm. So it wasn't there wasn't the procedural aspect of getting something published wasn't as complicated. Um, There weren't as many people involved uh, in the in the production process. But. Um, I don't know. There's no, but I mean, Grantland was great for that. It right. was, it was, it's the best job I've ever had. It's probably the best job I ever will have.
0: Um, let me ask you when that, when you were there
1: pretty much in the beginning, right? hmm. Um, yeah, started in 2011. I started writing in 2011, that, that same June, I think.
0: Right. So when you guys were creating this, this thing, was there any party that thought that it wouldn't work?
1: Sure. I think we all thought that.
0: Like it was too good to be true or it was no, just. No.
1: I mean, the too good to be true part only happened later. Right. Like the too good to be true part happened. I mean, at least for me, I'm sure everybody has a. <laughs> has a. what their too good to be true moment was. But mine didn't come until. Mine didn't come until much later. Once it was clear that, like, we were doing a thing that could be done unto eternity at the level at which we were doing it, as long as we had the largesse of, you know, ESPN or Disney sort of saying that we could continue to do
0: it. Did you ever get a rationale as to why they wouldn't help that site grow?
1: No, no. It's just just
0: baffling to me that, like,
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard the podcast
0: and Bill talk about it. Yeah, I I mean, Bill is
1: probably the person with the with the most uh, illuminating and probably correct theories about what happened. But no, I think that my personal my personal feeling about it is they really liked the site. They really didn't have any anticipation that it would do as well as it did. I think. I don't know. I'm really, the thing that I'm really curious about, and I think that others of us feel this way too, is I would have liked to have seen what would have happened if we were, if we were forced to fend for ourselves in a more explicit way. Mm-hmm. Like if we were and not in like a naked, you know, we need, you to write stories that get a certain number of page views. Mm-hmm. But we, I mean, we would do these live events and people would line up to see them. And I would have been one of the people in line to see some of this stuff if I hadn't worked at the site.
0: Right. Um, Which is a good thing to say about your place of
1: work. Right. I mean, I just would have wanted to be a participant in some of this, of some of this stuff. I would have been a daily reader of that site if I didn't work there. Yeah, um, I i would have liked to have seen what we could have done if we were basically doing what the ringer is currently going to do mm-hmm. which is not be beholden to a to a corporate overlord but also not even beholden we were never beholden to espn we were just sort of i don't know we were we had we were spoiled and also kind of stifled in a lot of ways yeah. by how generous they were. What a weird
0: juxtaposition us. that
1: is. Yeah, I mean, it's rare, and it's a bizarre thing to complain about. But mm. it was true. Like, we couldn't, you know, they were just, there were they didn't, you know, whatever money we would have been bringing in in the scheme of things was a drop in the bucket compared to what else was going on at the company. Right. Um. But I don't know. I really feel like it would have been fun to try to make that, to, to, to see what else we could have done. Cause I felt like when Bill got suspended that, that was the best year we'd ever had mm-hmm. content wise, which was 2013 yeah. our, or 2000. No, 2014 was when he got suspended. Um, that was our best, that was our best content year um, for sure. I mean, we were adventurous. We were like expanding into places that we didn't think we would ever grow into. Um we were we had reached this level where the only the only option was to go even broader. Um and then it was clear that just wasn't gonna happen. Right. At some point.
0: You don't seem like a particularly nostalgic person, but even for Grant it seems Grantland is the exception.
1: Yeah. I think I mean I, I, I speaking only for myself, I will never get over the loss of that site and job. Right. I mean and look, I we all for most for the most part, we're all great. And yeah. If anything, it it made our lives better.
0: Yeah, you're working it, at the New I York Times now. I mean, now. I'm, I'm sure <laughs>
1: there's somebody who I'm not thinking of right now who was at the site when it closed, whose life isn't better mm-hmm. professionally. And I, can't, I can't. Mo- I'll say for the most part, okay, for the we're, most all, part. we're all we're all better. Uh-huh. But I think for the most part, I think we all we all none of us would have left if right. we didn't have to leave. When you
0: enter the New York Times, the article that comes out, and here's an exact line I have it, A.O. Scott said, he's like Oscar Wilde, breathtakingly funny and absolutely serious in the same breath.
1: Um, that check cleared. (laughs) Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm glad. I'm. It's very flattering that he feels that way. That seems,
0: that's 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 a lot. That's like. So, I don't
1: even know. I don't even know that it's true.
0: It, I
1: I don't know. I it don't does, read it, myself. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, well, it, doesn't, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's true. It was printed and. Um, yeah. No. It's. No, it's it's extreme. It's like one of the nicest. Yeah. it is the single nicest thing anybody's ever said to me in print. Yeah, like it's like they don't even quote what the Pulitzer people said. That comes up no. a lot, but oh, that yeah. that Tony Scott quote, like okay, totally Wesley, it's not getting better than that. That's, right. No, uh, it's really nice. I actually don't know. The other thing about me is I don't. I once it's out there, I assume I am on to the next thing. I'm either waiting for like <laughs> I'm waiting for a tsunami of. Disapproval or contempt or something, right? Or I'm waiting for somebody to like say that something is not correct. Okay. Um. But the the nice things that people, I mean, I don't know. One of the things that that as a person who spends his life watching things go up and then go down, I am fully aware of what this how it works. You know how the physics of 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 quality work. Okay. And I all I can do is keep doing my job. But at some point I just fully expect everybody to be like, Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Whatever. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're moving on. Um, am <laughs> moving I, on from you. Right. Or not even, I don't know how to put this. Like I just, I am always surprised when people like something I write. I just, I just okay. for sure am. I don't expect it to happen. It's very, very nice. And i take very little time to appreciate the fact that, that it happened I am because you know in a lot of ways it is it is work like you do have to keep doing yeah. your job yeah. um, and so it really helps to not be big-headed it really helps to remember that you have to keep working um, and it also I think a humbling thing for me is well I can't really say that because I don't believe
0: it uh, okay well I was just gonna Wait, say yeah, that what well, were you gonna say
1: I was just gonna talk about the art of criticism and that that, that it, re- it really is an art um, but you don't believe that Oh I do I do believe that I just think that it is an art that you can't like you can't paint something and sit there and look at it all day you have to keep yeah. you have to keep it going so it's not it's a weird art right it's like a, it's a mechanical art where you know you kind of are working on a kind of assembly line and like once the thing is sort of past your station you just have to keep building something that's a horrible. Uh, analogy but I mean it, it's not it's not entirely incorrect um, there's just not a lot of time to sit there and be like yeah I made that <laughs> there just isn't yeah. even when people want to talk to you about something you made like from a media standpoint like I'm already probably working on two or three other things right. and don't mind talking about it but um and it's funny because they're never really interested in talking about the thing I wrote they want to talk about the thing I wrote about So, you know, in a lot of ways, I am, my relationship to my subjects is is almost purely repertorial in some ways, you know? Um, I'm never really talking about how I wrote, what I wrote, or what I wrote. It's more about the subject matter.
0: Right. Your, what's the official position title?
1: At the the Times? Yeah. Uh, Critic at Large.
0: Okay. It was an invented position right I, think uh, that, I, don't I know, mean, there wasn't a critic they didn't, at large they prior didn't to that. yeah
1: that that job did not okay. exist at the moment I took it. There have been other people who've done a similar job at the time
0: ah so. uh-huh. um what I'm interested in is like forget forget the like it was a big deal that that, that they did that that quote that, we don't have to go over, over that it's more. Do you ever feel that, like, you're being asked to do the same thing all the time and that you're being pigeonholed? Because I feel you are always the person that people seem to go to when, like, when Dope came out. Mm-hmm. Or The Help or, or Trivia. Right. Like, like, you have, I don't want to say the race beat, but in a way, you're like the Ta-Nehisi Coates of writing about movies and pop culture. <laughs> and and you're great at it, I think you're above, sorry, you're above average at it. Thank you very much. Um, But do you feel like, do you feel trapped?
1: No. I mean, I don't, because I know I can write about anything. Okay. I don't feel, I mean, I do feel, I mean, in that same long form podcast that I did, I was, I also sort of talked about the, my relationship to writing about race, which was that it is sort of a moral duty to To write about how race in popular culture works, right? And it's not as though well, when I started doing it, I mean, when I when I be, when I was made to feel aware of my doing it a lot. When was that? Uh, I would say like the mid two thousands. When I was at the Boston Globe, uh, I think it was it was it was uncomfortable for a lot of people. You know, the Boston Globe locally is a predominantly white readership. Right. And I think that you know, given Boston has its own relationship to race um and my finding racism and looking at the way race works in movies that aren't explicitly racial mm-hmm. or aren't explicitly about race or racism was disconcerting for a lot of people because it, it made it it seemed to them like I was rooting around for trouble that didn't really exist uh-huh. um, which is not my I mean that is a very sort of to use just you know to speak in the common parlance that is a very privileged way to look at at how culture works right um, Whereas, you know, I go to a movie and I see a black person in the movie. And the first thing I'm asking myself is, what is this black person doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, what function is this Asian person serving in this in this white person's movie? Mm-hmm. Like, is this person here for jokes? Is this person here to, to, to serve the white people? Um, and so I'd like to comment on that just a little bit. The whole review isn't about how this Asian person is here to be laughed at or made fun of. It's just I'm going to mention that this is also on top of everything else or in addition to everything else. A movie that finds it funny to sort of like, you know, right. elbow this Asian guy for being Asian.
0: So what is it like when you're writing cause in Dope is it's made by a black man. Right. And you wrote, I just have it here. The elevator pitch requires a second elevator. That's almost like the hairline that you made about Alexand. Like that that's that's a great line. Oh. I remember, I remember reading that at Sundance. And then it sort of ends with you saying that uh, he's feeding, he, he's feeding them black shit that white people like.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't say that at the times. So I'd have to find a different, have to find <laughs> a different word. But I mean, I do believe. I mean, okay, that is probably one of the harsher pieces of 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 criticism aimed at a particular director. Right. Um but I really hate that movie. I really actively hate it. And oh, I, I think that I, you, you um, could tell reading that. I, I, but you know, there's a there's a cuz there's a way I, I think there's a way to make that movie if somebody else made it um where I might not like it but I don't hate it because it is coming from an somebody's authentic life. Mm. Like that is this is a person who has one story to tell and this is it. Uh-huh. This is a guy who's looking for somebody's authentic-ish story yeah. and is looking for a way to repackage that to, to you know, catapult his dormant career. I mean, I don't even know that this is true, right? I can only extrapolate from this person's previous body of work uh-huh. what this movie is doing, what feels phony and false about it to me. Uh and what it wound up doing. I mean, I couldn't have known this when I wrote the piece, but what it wound up doing for this person after the fact. Um and what did it do? I mean, it he this person will probably work foreseeably on any number of television projects. He'll probably be able to make some features. Right. I mean he'll be he, he is in a he's in a better position now after that movie than he was before. He yeah, definitely is. I mean I that movie say. that
0: movie blew up. Yes. You, you rightly and sadly predicted the movie. Is that the white marketplace? I didn't,
1: I didn't even... I just sat in there and watched people watch it. Yeah. I mean, it oh, didn't make a at, shitload of a context, money. For context, you were at Sundance as well, which is... Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it is at an altitude that is higher than the way most people experience their movies. <laughs> but... That's not what I meant. Uh, well, so, right. The peep, it also the peep, is... The, the white... It's a predominantly yeah, white of course. Festival. But, but the people... I don't know what the demographics were for the movie's ultimate release. Mm-hmm. But I could just see, the, by the way, more black people were uncomfortable watching that movie than white people who felt really good watching it. That it was a movie... And also, the chip on its shoulder wasn't a chip that black people put on its shoulder. It was a chip... It was it was trying to have an attitude with white people making a problem out of a problem that this movie is propagating. Well, the chip is baffling, to get specific, like at the end.
0: Oh, sure! Where he's writing... To the Harvard... And he's like, yeah, fuck. And I'm like, "What? What? what paper... Are right. you are you sending that to an Ivy League school? No Ivy League... I mean, I don't know. It, it felt phoned in.
1: Well, it also... <sighs> it felt, I don't know. It, it felt fake. I it, mean, felt it felt extremely <sighs> fake. And it felt like a person... It felt like the sort of thing that could come only from a person who hadn't experienced one iota of what, what led up to any of that. And, oh. you know, the thing that galled me the most was that he does the dance at the end of the movie anyway. Yeah. You know, he's still dancing... Um, And it's uh, whatever that. Yeah. So that is an example of something where I felt like I couldn't let this movie get away with the right. thing that I mean, as much as I would have preferred to write that about a white person <laughs> telling that story about black people. I feel like it's, you would have preferred that. I, well, I mean, it doesn't feel good to know that that there is I mean, it's not like it was a surprise to me to discover that black people are just as good as exploiting our, like each other as white (laughs) people are exploiting black people, but it's just, it it is an uncomfortable thing to do because you also want black movies to succeed. Right. Right. Like I didn't want the movie to fail, but I also wanted to be, I wanted to make it clear that I just kind of disagreed. I just sort of morally disagree with his existence Mm -hmm. and wanted to, to present that disagreement and as fair a possible. I mean, I do argue. You do. I, I mean, I, I made, I did take it.
0: out the two. Right. right, right. No, but I'm lines. just,
1: I'm just saying that, that in the, in the scheme of things, the thing that I feel most comfortable being what if I am harsh, I feel like it can only happen if I've, I've reached a board. I've laid enough gr- critical right. groundwork right, right. to be able to say like, and fuck you.
0: Do you think you are hardest on harder on artists of color than than elsewhere because of? I feel like you went into that movie. There's a few things. The fact that he's going to an Ivy League school. You went to Yale. There was a lot that I can see. It bothered me, but I can understand why. Like a lot of that was frustrating. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering. Not, like, not, is it
1: personal in some ways? Or I don't know,
0: like, yes, but also because you have. You know, you grew up in Philadelphia. You have have a a wealth of knowledge and background. So when approaching that, I don't know.
1: I just... Uh, Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, ultimately, with anything, I'm more interested in, like, what feels right. You were especially... Frustrated with the authenticity. Well, because, of that movie. well no, because okay, so in, with a movie like Dope, a movie like Dope is presenting itself as authentic, right? Mm. It is. I am not. I am not receiving this, and I'm not only receiving this and saying this doesn't. This I smell a rat here. This is a movie that is saying, I smell a rat in these other places, and here I am presenting you a true version of ratness, right? right. It like, almost
0: tricked me because they had a good soundtrack. Like they played Tribe Called Quest, and I was like, oh.
1: But but there's a lot of things in like the idea that these kids would have a hard time in school is is true. Like I probably could have been. Well, I couldn't have been one of those kids because the problem with this movie is it wants to have it both ways. Right. These kids are nerds. They're skate nerds. They're in a band. The other black kids at their school don't like them, which in 2015 is totally not true. Like those kids are the most popular kids at their school. Period, right? And yet, we're supposedly they outcasts and they don't fit in anywhere, and that they're not cool. But they're just not gangsters, right? Yeah. And so the movie, I mean, it's funny because because um, Keanu is doing a similar thing, but it is it's a much smarter movie and much less ambitious. And in its in its lack of ambition, winds up getting a lot more argued successfully than mm-hmm. a movie like dope because dope also wants to be extremely commercial, but it wants to be commercial in the way that it thinks a movie going audience will accept black people. Mm. And this is, I mean, I, we don't have time to argue the differences between Keanu and dope, but <laughs> I do think that there's a, there's a dope is 100% cynical. It is a hundred percent not interested in the, like true black experience. It's a, it's interested in presenting like a diet version of that in order to pass itself off as real, but also to remain commodifiable and, and, and commercially viable mm-hmm. in a marketplace. And I mean, there's probably a way to do that so that you can be authentic and popular, but this movie doesn't have any idea how to be both at the same time.
0: You've mentioned moral duty like a few times. And I'm fascinated because I think Roger had that as well. I, he often talked about the morality of movies in his writing. And I do think a lot of film writing or pop culture writing uh, rem- seems not to remove morality, but it's it's almost like the films are approached at arm's reach, at arm's, reach, or arm's distance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem... I think it was what makes your writing strong. Is like you're never removing that. It seems no, like it's, I mean it's, it's like it's there. You're you're on the page almost well, every time. It
1: would be one thing if the movies weren't. I mean, like if you just look at the way Marvel movies work, for instance, they're not. They don't. They don't pretend that what's happening in the world isn't happening. At least from the from the standpoint of like the military industry industri, industrial complex. Like it acknowledges that there is a system by which defense contracting gets done. It understands that there's a military and it defends things. It understands that there are branches of the government that can't be trusted. I mean, there's a surveillance. I mean, it, it, it understands the way in which the government as an apparatus makes life good, bad, difficult, easy. And it would be crazy for me as a citizen and as a moviegoer, not to at least acknowledge that aspect of certain Marvel movies, because those movies acknowledge that that world does exist too. And it's, it's not even an acknowledgement. It is an active part of say the Captain America movies. Those movies don't work without some awareness of the way it thinks the American government defense system works. Right. Um, so it's impossible for me to review a movie about that and not like question the way that movie uses those ideas. Um, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, the morality is one thing, but I'm also interested in how make movies make me feel like what, like what, like bodily fluids does it bring out of me? Like what does it make me happy? Does it make me sad? Um, does it remind me of things? Um, I mean, I think those are really, really, fun things to try to process too. And you know, if you see a movie and it makes you feel anything, or if you see anything, you know, any sort of work of popular culture to listen to, read, watch, dig, if it affects you or moves you or bores you or some things, you, I feel like you have a, you also have a duty to, to report that. Um, and I feel like a lot, I mean, when I read a lot of film writing, I, The sensation part is the thing that I, I mean, when I read writing criticism of any kind, the thing that I most want is send, I mean, I want intelligence and all of those other things, but I feel you also can't quite get to that, those points without Mm. some degree of relationship in terms of, uh, between the thing you watched and how the thing you watched made you feel.
0: Mm. I've never read a piece of your writing where I thought you were bored or you were um not so much bored by the movie but they you're always I don't know if it's excitable, but it, it's like you have passion mm-hmm. and you seem to have an endless supply of it. Even though the sort of at the end of the speech yesterday you talked about, you know, you mentioned how most movies are not what was the line exactly? It was
1: Well, they're not talking about anything.
0: They're not talking about silence, anything. Yeah. So how do you manage to keep talking about everything when These movies are, most movies are not talking about anything.
1: Um, I don't know. And the thing that I was saying before about the physics of, of, of how we do what we do. I don't know at some point if this is like, I mean, one of the things is one of the reasons I never sit back and I'm like, oh, that was a good one (laughs) is because I always, I think, and you, you know, anybody who spends enough time writing about directors should know this, like at some point. You just sort of start to lose it. You know, you just aren't as good as at some point as you used to be. And then there are people who who, who, at some point, you know, I'm about the age. I don't know what. I mean, I have to look at this and see like what the average age of peaking is. Okay. For like for people, for filmmakers I like or like musicians mm. I like. But I would say I'm somewhere in the peaking area. Right? Do you think you're peaking? I mean, I might have already peaked. I don't know. But I'm somewhere in that, like somewhere between 35 and 50 right. is that zone, right? And I mean, obviously, many, many people have done amazing work past 50 sure. and before 35. But I would say, I mean, this is an interesting thing to pull, right? Or like you could probably, you don't even need to have a, I mean, if some of it's subjective, um It's probably all entirely subjective when it comes to the question I'm actually asking, which is, which is like, what happens to does the energy run out? Right. Like, do I suddenly just get bored doing this? And there are a lot of days where I'm like, this is dumb. Really? No. I mean, yes. (laughs) Yes. No. Like, really? Like, I mean, I believe in it. But, you know, it's like six o'clock in the morning and you're like dragging yourself across your apartment. You're like getting dressed to go to work and you're just like, what do I have to do today? Oh, right. I have to write something that sounds smart about girls. Is that really important? And then I'm like, yes, it is. I get to a point where like, yes, it's fucking important but it takes it like sometimes there are days when it just takes a little bit longer to get to like yes this is important some days it's like instant like I don't even have to there is no sort of meta conversation you have to have with yourself about whether or not you should be doing what you're doing but I I will never really ever be satisfied with what I'm doing because I live in constant fear that I will lose the will to do it Because I don't really, I mean, the thing about my relationship to to criticism is that I don't really have a lot of control over it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can talk to you about how my talent, how talented I am, or like how smart I am, or how much I know, but what are those things really, right? Like, I don't have any control over what my brain does when I sit down to talk, to to write. I really don't. Like, I don't have a strategy. I just hope for the best. Like, I really hope that my brain just works that day. (laughs) And I mean, I don't know how else to put it. It's a completely cosmic, spiritual, beyond my control sort of thing. I don't know how. It's not like, and I guess athletes would probably say a similar thing, right? Like, I mean, they can sit there. I mean, I write every day and the writing every day sort of makes it easier to know how to write. Like I know how to construct a sentence. I know how to play with sentence sure. construction and how to be like cute with language. But at the end of the day, it's a pitch and your eye and a bat. And like the relationship among those three things has to make perfect sense, you know, or like, I mean, or in, We're in the Bay Area. I can talk about Steph Curry. I'm not Steph Curry. Okay. But, like, you watch him play basketball, and there are things about his basketball playing that are automatic. Like, he's taken a billion, zillion three-point shots. But, like, Steph Curry couldn't tell you how he makes his three-point shots look like they should go in the Louvre. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) He couldn't tell you how he does that. He just knows the mechanics of making a three-point shot. And so... I mean, I just compare myself to Steph Curry. I love it. I, uh, just pretend that I'm not talking about the Steph Curry, but a guy who does a thing very well. Uh-huh. But I don't really have any. But the, but the point really is, I don't really have any control over anything else, you know. And then there are days like I feel like there are a lot of days where like I feel more like Serena Williams than I do like Steph Curry. Where like <laughs> there are days where I just don't. I gotta force myself to do it. Like, winning ugly, I feel like there are a lot of days, like the day Prince died, I was writing three different things. Mm. That was a winning ugly day, if I won it all.
0: You know what's crazy? Um, I listened to, because you went on Simmons' podcast, Mm -hmm. and he said, are you writing something about Prince? And you weren't excited about it. Not because Prince had died, but I could sense that there was something like, you had to respond now. Oh, death.
1: well, yeah, because my instinct was to wait. My instinct, right. my, my non news, non journalism instinct was like, I have two other things to write. Is there any way we can just put this off for four days? I was not excited to write that piece. Right. But then, you know, I hung up the phone with Bill. I got off the phone with Bill. I had finished, I think, when did I, did I talk? I talked to him on a Friday. So I, that piece, oh, I think I'd already written that piece. I think that piece it hadn't was. I hadn't been out though. Right, it wasn't out. No, it yeah. was, but it was it was ready to go. Okay. I think I wrote that piece. I mean, part of the reason I probably didn't sound excited was because I hadn't slept. <laughs> I stayed up on it to write that piece, uh-huh. so I had not slept one wink. I think I slept for thirty five <laughs> minutes at my desk like this, but that was it. Yeah. Um. So I mean, uh, you, I, I, I was excited. Probably before, I was definitely excited to write the piece. In as much as you can be excited to write something about, you know, yeah. the death of someone who, who you love, um or whose work you love. Uh but, you know, I also again was just like, Dear God, please let something fun happen while I sit down to write this story. That's all I ever want I like or like, don't let me embarrass myself. Huh. Um That's all I that's all I can ask for when I when I do this.
0: <laughs> I think you've done a good job of not embarrassing yourself.
1: I mean, let's let's talk in ten years. I don't know. I mean, I feel, yeah. Thank you. I feel like I've I've not done a terrible job at that, but you just never know.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Thanks for doing this.
1: Sure. This Thanks for having me.
0: All right, man. Well, there it is. Thanks again to Wesley for the words of wisdom and for coming on the show. You can read his work on a weekly basis at the New York Times, where he continues to write illuminatingly on everything from lemonade to prints. You can also hear him sporadically on the Bill Simmons podcast, and also look below in the show notes to read all the pieces we discussed throughout the conversation. A special thanks once again to Laura Molinari and Tom Winterbottom at the San Francisco Film Society for helping make this interview happen and for being generous with their headquarters space throughout the 59 San Francisco International Film Festival. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to send mail of any kind, hate mail, love letters, love letters about how great lemonade is, whatever you want, email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. I promise I read every one of these. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Talk Easy Pod. And lastly, if you have a spare moment in your busy day, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps us reach new listeners. Our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Technical assistance provided by Joe Stillwater. The show is produced and edited by Corey Attad. And I'm your host, Sam Fergoso. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. People
1: Did you catch Season 3 of This is Digital? Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including digital lessons from the EV revolution and the chief digital officer's role in disruption and culture, featuring guests like Ektar Chopra of Elf Beauty and Tyson Jomany of J.D. Power. Do you have a digital mindset? Find out by checking out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com.